What is up, asymmetry? Jeez, I I feel uh, humbled and completely and totally bowled over by the guests that we've had on asymmetry lately, and 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 this conversation goes hand in hand with just completely and totally feeling grateful for both the time, generosity, as well as the opportunity to meet a spectacular individual, spend time with him, and and really get to uh, nourish my own passion for trees through the experiences of Tim Kovar. Uh, Tim is a tree climbing professional, tree climbing instructor. He operates a tree climbing school out of uh, Portland, Oregon called uh, Tree Climbing Planet, where he is spreading the love of trees, educating people, and informing them how to responsibly climb trees, and just creating such a strong connection between human beings and this grand fellow living organism on the planet Earth. Uh, I had the opportunity through Tim to climb some old growth redwood and his awareness and the things that he knows and can contribute to the world and the knowledge base around trees are singular and unique to him. And uh, diving into his background and his life, uh, continuing to evolve as a tree climber was absolutely fascinating. Uh, I'm super proud and really happy to say sit back relax and enjoy uh tim kovar everybody tim hey bud yes what's going on man all right all right ah just climbing trees Ugh. what's going on i'm jealous i'm jealous it's a good life it's a good life you've chosen for yourself yeah yeah well i i think you pretty you chose a pretty good one yourself too so <laughs> I think anything to do with trees, we're, we're doing good, you know? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I have to, I have to be honest. I had every intention of sending you uh, a thank you note just to let you know how monumentally impactful our climb together was. Uh, and I, I really suck at that stuff. And so I apologize that I never followed up. Um, but I guess I also always hope that you would get out to Mariah so that I could give you a proper tour of what I do and, and, and then we could split hairs later. But uh, anyways, I just wanted to let you know that that continues to kind of reverberate as a pretty monumental experience uh, that you provided. And I, I just can't thank you enough. It was really something special. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you. And I definitely saw it in your eyes and uh, I'm still taking you up on your visit after your place too. So Yeah, yeah, please do. I I talked to, with Irene and, and I know her and the boys came out and got to experience your slice of heaven and uh, and climb the oaks and I'm still also on the docket for getting in uh some climbing to get certified because you know, Steen really motivated me by by telling me that I could throw in on the giant sequoias. That's a, you know, that's a whole nother world that I would like to experience. Right. Sweet, sweet. Well, yeah, let's get you in because um, I'm actually headed there with Steen uh, on the 12th, I think it is, like next week. Oh, no. What are, And are you guys seed collecting still? We are. We're seed collecting. Hopefully the fires uh, allow us in. Oh, um, my but gosh. He's got the permits. Um you know, uh, all dotted and signed and ready to go. So 
Uh, we should be there, I think, climbing on the 15th through the 18th. And yeah, collecting seed. So, but there's going to definitely be more of this too going on with steam. So, uh, the beginning, he says, so there's a lot of the, uh, the big wigs from the park are going to be out there as well. Um, you know, he says, we're not going to most likely not going to be climbing the giant giants, you know, probably, you know, second growth or, you know, 500 years old versus 2000 years old. So I think steam's going out there to do a little scouting mission uh, this week. Wow. Um, so, yeah, and kind of give us the rundown of what's going on. So, um, fingers crossed that we're going to be able to make it. We'll be down in Sequoia National Park doing it. So unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, I, I definitely I, I need to be a part of that. The, the as as I've as I've journeyed the world looking at ancient trees for whatever reason, and there's really no affiliation or association, but the giant sequoias have had the biggest impact on me. So so the you know the redwoods are phenomenal height wise, and the bristle cones are phenomenal in terms of their demonstration of the environmental influences and but the giant sequoias just the sheer mass of them and the 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 unbelievable uh inability to digest all of what is sitting as a single living organism j- just like completely piques my interest and captures my imagination yeah yeah i mean they're they're literally in a league of their own you know my my opinion on that stuff so it's yeah yeah so I mean, I mean, we talked uh, when we were climbing the the redwood, and 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 I sort of got a brief background. But but how how did you actually get into tree climbing? Like, what started this journey for you? What was what was before tree climbing? What got you into it? Like, how did this all start? Wow. Well, when I was four years old, I wanted to be a garbage man. So we won't go back quite back that far. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, I remember my first climb about four or five, six years old, somewhere in there and, uh, was climbing the neighbor's, uh, apple tree. And, uh, I get up there and he's the neighbor kid was a couple years older than I. And so his name's Mark and Mark was, you know, climbing above me. And I was like, I can keep up with him. I get up, which seems like a hundred feet. I mean, reality was six feet, you know, and just froze and just froze. And I started, I, Story is, I started to cry. I don't know, maybe I did, <laughs> but uh, had to actually. My dad was working, so they had to get uh, Mark's father, David, to come and actually uh, rescue me and get me out of the tree. Um, but I remember watching Mark climb up there, move around, climb back down past the you know crying five year old you know infant compared to him, and uh, I was amazed that we actually had this ability to go vertical. You know, I never really gone vertical prior to that. Um, and so I remember practicing, you know, I remember going over there and practicing climbing just one step. Like, how did he get down? You know, if I wanted to be able to do what the older kids were doing. So uh, fast forward that to a few years um, in the future there, um, I don't know, 1986, 87 or so. Um, a friend and I started a actual tree climbing club in Fremont, Nebraska. Now it was just the two of us in the club, um, but it was a club, you know, nonetheless. And so we would have our meetings up in the top of the trees. And at this time we were into, there was that the big ninja boom was happening back in the eighties at that time. So we were playing little ninjas in the trees and, uh, um, little did I know a thousand miles away in Atlanta, Georgia, around this exact same time, 
Peter Jenkins, uh, the founder of Tree Climbers International, was starting the world's first technical tree climbing school um, and club as well. So we were kind of riding that same cosmic wave. Uh, obviously, they did not know of each other, um, but... Um, as he was doing that down in Atlanta, I was doing it in Nebraska. And then about 10 years later, 1992, um, is when I actually met Peter at the dojo. We were actually training in the same martial art and it was in the ninja arts, um, uh, surprisingly. And this guy walks into the, into the dojo and he's covered in sawdust and, um, he shakes like a dog and all the sawdust goes everywhere in the dojo. Oh. And, you know, if, if you knew anything about dojos, you know, it's a very respectful place. And I'm like, oh, he's going to get in trouble, you know. Right. And that, but he welcomed him. They knew him. He's been going there on and off for years. Uh, and they welcomed him. They, hey, Bongo. And that was his old hippie name back in the hippie days. Um, and so I looked at him and there was, you know, no lightning bolts thrown at him from the uh, lineage, you know, past grandmasters and all that. So um, it's like, I need to train with this guy and see who, see who he is, what he's about. He seems like a pretty eccentric dude. Uh, and so that night we trained and he started telling me about what he did. Now, he did not tell me that he actually has a tree climbing school. He just mentioned that he does tree work. and He just got off the job site um, and was an arborist. And I had no idea that you could actually climb trees and make a living at it. You know, that concept never really entered into my head. Um, because all throughout high school, you know, it just wasn't that cool to climb trees. And I was kind of a closet climber. So I'd get away from the friends on the weekends and run out and climb into the cottonwood trees. And it was all just, you know, old school, hand over hand, uh, monkey style type climbing. Um, wasn't really aware of the gear yet. And then when I met Peter, um, he invited me out to do some tree work with them. And so it was like, at the time I was a chef at a Jamaican restaurant and been doing the restaurant business for, you know, several years and just didn't really seem to be going anywhere for myself with that. Um, and so being outside working with my hands sounded like a good little change, especially with trees being involved with it too. So, uh, went out, did the job site with Peter. And of course he had me on the ground, just dragging brush and, moving things up to the truck uh, while he was up there jumping around, climbing in the trees. And that looked like fun up there. The dragging the brush, it's a good workout, but it looked like all the entertainment was higher up. So uh, the way I actually learned how to climb with a rope and saddle was actually looking over Peter's shoulder. And he'd be sitting there tying the knots and I would come in behind him and uh, with my notebook, notebook and pen and write down these knots and try to draw them real quick because this is you know 1992 or so 93 and um i would go home on the weekends and practice and this is not the best way to learn i've had quite <laughs> falls and you know i've i've came to learn over the years knots are either tied a hundred percent right or could be tied fatally wrong <laughs> you know there's no such thing as that's oh, kind of this knot no it is not or it's not the knot so um, after quite a few close calls and working with Peter during, you know, doing the ground stuff, um, he eventually, about six months later, invited me out to his tree climbing school. Hmm. A ride, I had no idea he had a school. And I remember looking at him going, you mean I could have paid you to learn how to do this? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you about my school. I was like, no, you never mentioned your school to me. 
Um, and so the way we climbed doing tree work back then in the early nineties, it was, was a technique known as body thrust. It was just having to pull down the rope, pull all your weight up, slide the knot up, and then you advance a little bit and then you pull again. So it took some physical strength to do this. And I was in my early twenties and in a better shape than I am now, but, uh, it was still challenging. It was still a, a little challenging way to ascend into the top of these trees. Now, once I got up there, it was a beautiful world and so forth and so on. Um, but, uh, I decided to go help Peter at his school and showing up, I assumed to be all, you know, physically fit folks and, uh, like athletic type people out there. And when I showed up at his school on Arizona Avenue in Atlanta, Georgia, there must have been 20, 25 people out there from the age of six years old up to these two ladies that were 75 years old. And I remember walking down and Peter introduced me to everybody uh, there and um, he's giving a little intro talk. And I'm looking at this wide demographic of folk and uh, especially these two elderly ladies, you know, I'm like thinking, there's no way that these women can get up in this tree. I'm, you know, early twenties and I'm having a hard time struggling with this, you know? And so I'm like also kind of a little scared because if they can do it, then what's, what's, what does that say about me right now? You know? So, um, so uh, Peter, after doing the introductions and the demonstration, he uh, tells me, Hey Tim, I'm going to have you work with these two women, these two elders, elders. And I looked at him and I'm like, yeah, I give the green guy the harder ones, you know? And I remember whispering in his ear, it's like, Pete, this is impossible. It's not going to happen. It's not going to, it's just, it's not going to happen. He's like, relax, Kovar, relax, relax, relax. We have a different way of doing it with the public than we do for tree work. He's like, okay, I'm about learning new things. <laughs> and then he was showing these foot ascenders and footsteps and things like that there, that you're using your legs versus your upper body. And I was like, oh my gosh, this looks so much easier than the way I was doing it. Mm -hmm. So uh, I mimicked, parroted what Peter said uh, with these ladies. And of course, he's watching over my shoulder, making sure everything's done safely. And um, the next thing I know, these two ladies are going up about a foot at a time up into this 100-year-old white oak tree named Nimrod. Um, and they get up 25 feet to that first branch and run it was like these little girls just emerged out of them you know they hadn't climbed a tree in 65 years yeah. um in fact when they came down they were telling me that they didn't think they'd ever climb a tree again in their life you know but while they were up there they tapped into that inner child you know and they were just giddy schoolgirls up there they forgot what it was like to be in the crown of a tree and once i realized they were safe um you know, I kind of got my uh, vision into wide angle vision and started seeing around the rest of the crown of the tree. And that's when I really saw the magic happening. There must have been 10, maybe 12 ropes up in the tree and every rope was occupied with somebody from these young six-year-old kids. I remember this 15-year-old uh, punk rock kid with the big blue mohawk climbed up next to the grandmas and was sitting with them and, and they were telling stories. Now, back then we didn't wear helmets. We do wear helmets today, but back then it was a little more loosey-goosey. Um, and... Then there's this very, very conservative couple up in the treetops sitting next to this hippie chick that lives in the neighborhood. And they were talking and they were talking about climbing trees. And I realized right then 
that there's no political debates, philosophical discussions, uh, discussions. It was just people being people, you know, uh, it was that tree that brought them together. These people most likely would not interact back on terra firma, you know, you know, there's, they run in different circles, but they all had this connection to be there with the tree. The trees would pull them all in. And I remember looking at that and seeing this magic happening up in the treetop. Beautiful. I mean, it, it literally, I did a 180 on my life after that. It's like, nope, I'm going this direction right now. And I looked at Peter, uh, Peter Jenkins and, I was like, man, brother, you got something super magical happening right here. And this is really what I want to be doing, you know. So um, I continued to do tree work with Peter for about five years uh, using the chainsaw because I had to pay the bills back then. Uh, working with Tree Climbers International, that was Peter's school. Um, it was all pretty much volunteer um, out there. So every weekend I was volunteering or day during the week I was climbing trees uh, as an arborist. Um, and then after doing that for five years, I took a five-year break and traveled around the country and around the world, um, worked with the children's touring show for a while, um, had summers off, had four days off every week, um, but was taking these skills that I learned down in Georgia and bringing them to different climates and different ecosystems to see if these type of skills would actually work in different types of trees versus just the southeastern United States trees. And then in the uh, summer times, we had summers off. I would do travels over to Asia or throughout Europe, parts of North Africa, and um, take this, the skills with me and to see what actually works, what doesn't work. Trying to find that thread um, that uh, uh, everybody could use. You know, like some techniques work better for some people that were more, you know, physically apt. Um, and so I was trying to find that thread. What's that one climbing system, climbing style that's going to work best for most of the people out there? So I was, you know, putting that stuff to the test and in the field, actually. After being on the road for five years, um, I went back to Atlanta, um, fine-tuned my uh, teaching skills uh, with a gentleman named Abe Winters. Um, Abe Winters was one of my uh, major mentors. Um, he had a company called Tree Climbing USA. He was also a student of Peter Jenkins, um, but Abe put me underneath his wing and uh, really taught me how to teach this stuff, how to go about um, organizing the different modules. And so I helped fine tune that as well um, and then stayed in Atlanta for a few years and then about gosh, 15, 17 years ago or so, I made the move out to Oregon and opened up the first technical tree climbing school west of the Rockies. Um, wow. There was a lot of tree climbing schools out there in the southeast because that's just where TCI started. And we all were friends, you know, we're all hanging out together, literally. Um, and we, when students would come, you know, we're all kind of competing. It's like, well, you had two students last week. There's only one signed up for this week, you know? And so after that, we're all friends. It's like, you know what, guys, you guys have the Southeast. I'm going to move up to the Northwest um, and bring this love in for the, and the passion for trees out here. So uh, came out, did a couple little scouting missions prior to it. Um, ended up landing with the beautiful friends um, at New Tribe. Uh, New Tribe, they're a company based out of Grants Pass, Oregon. They're the ones that make all of our saddles and our hammocks that we sleep in the trees with. Um, and so went out there and started working with them for a few years, opened up that uh, Tree Climbing Northwest was the name of the school then. And then about, oh, 10, 11 years or so ago now, um, I opened up my tree climbing school, Tree Climbing Planet. And that pretty much takes us to uh, 
we're right here. So, uh, so did Peter Jenkins develop the techniques to climb trees, or was he a student of another mentor? And like, where did all of this like tree yeah. climbing start? Because like, I mean, you've just taken us on like a phenomenal narrative arc and now i want to like dissect this a little bit and understand this great great because uh man the story peter tells about how it started is beautiful so uh 1983 um peter was a retired rock climber he did a lot of the big walls in colorado he's from colorado native uh or texas native was living in colorado um and then moved to atlanta georgia and apparently there was a big ice storm that came through Atlanta in 1982, uh, 83. And he decided, uh, seeing all these downed trees everywhere, that he was going to take his rock climbing skills into the trees and do some tree work to make some quick money. And um, he learned real quick that the rock climbing stuff does not work in the trees. You know, this, these skills are completely different. You know, in fact, Honestly, tree climbing is closer related to caving than it is to rock climbing. Oh, so interesting. Interesting. Being on rope the whole time. Rock climbers, if they're using the rope, it's usually because they slipped and, you know, the rope caught them. You know, it's their safety line. Where tree climbers, that's our main highway is climbing on the rope the whole time. As with cavers, when they're going into the pit or coming out, they're constantly on rope. So anyway, so Pete was... Um, you know, wanting to do this tree work. And he was asking a few of the local tree companies, um, you know, how do you do this? How do you do this? And nobody wanted to help him out. They're like, nope, these are our skills. We got it. Kind of, you know, a little secret society going on there with the, with the tree climbing uh, going on back then in those days. Once again, no books. And the way to learn was on the job learning, you know, from, you know, uh, master to student. And so Pete would sit there and watch tree crews, you know, sit in his car and just pretty much watch and go, okay, they're trying to figure it out. He knew how knots worked and things like that. So um, he took what he was watching kind of the same way I learned, I guess, uh, and started figuring this stuff out and mimicking what he saw. Um, as he tells the story, during the, the following year, during the wintertime, he was up in Atlanta, Georgia, climbing trees, uh, doing tree work, and it started to snow, and, which is quite rare for down in Atlanta to have snow. Mm-hmm. And as it was snowing, he was on the top of this beautiful tree, and he's looking down, and the ground crew, they're just running around like ants, picking up all the gear so it doesn't get wet, you know, the chainsaws and the ropes and uh, all the knickknacks, and as they're frantically moving about, he's at the top of the tree, just in bliss, enjoying watching the snow fall over the city of Atlanta. And he just tells me it was one of the most beautiful things he'd ever seen. And the one thing that he really, really wished was that somebody was up there to experience this with him. You know. I see this, but nobody else in Atlanta most likely is seeing the snow from this perspective, you know? And uh, he's like, I really wish somebody was up here with me. Um, And he said, as soon as he thought that, there was a bolt of lightning that went over the skyline of Atlanta. So lightning and snow, that's a rarity in itself, down in the South. So Peter being the hippie at heart was like, that's a sign. That's a sign right there, you know, that there's, uh, you know, what was I just thinking about again? Oh, yeah, taking yeah, people right. into the tree. <laughs> uh, 
So uh, he uh, um, that night he went home and called up a couple friends. Uh, one of the guys, Tom Coffin, is still with him today. Uh, called up a couple friends and says, "Hey, I want you guys to come out and um, climb trees with me." And they're looking or talking to him on the phone, like, "You crazy? Why would we climb trees? We did that as a kid, you know?" He's like, "No, no, these are big trees. These are big trees with ropes and saddles and gear, you know." And they're like, uh, "I got something else to do. I got something else to do." And Finally, he says he had to bribe them with beer. He was like, if you guys show up, I'll buy you beer. You know, let me buy you some beer. We'll go, go climb some trees. Um, and that was the beginning of the school. And so he took uh, Tom Coffin and a couple other guys up into the treetops. Um, and they just started like, why don't we start a technical tree climbing club right now? Um, and so they got down. They started trying to figure out how to make that all work. Now, the arborist community back in Atlanta, 1982, 83, um, they were not very happy with them. He was kind of the antichrist. He was the one giving away trade secrets. And they were terrified that he was going to be teaching homeowners how to climb trees and the homeowners were going to start doing their own tree work, mm. you know? Um, so he had no support whatsoever from the arborist community back then early in the early days. So he was truly a pioneer on his own, trying to trying to make this happen, a visionary with this. Um, and so most of the people that came in to um, do the recreational tree climbing with him, they were just old hippie friends. You know, guy was a yoga teacher. Another guy was a gourmet chef. And, you know, a guy was a window washer. They had a window washer guy, Frank, came out and did some climbing with him too. And that was the budding in the beginning of Tree Climbers International. And then it was about 10 years later when I actually met them. Wow. So he, so these techniques existed. And I, I mean, our, our boriculture has been around for a very long time. People treating larger it's fascinating to me because where i back into this is i deal with miniature trees so the notion of climbing macro-sized trees or full-size trees and 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 pruning them i mean i i took arboriculture classes in college uh and learned a lot about tree structure and tolerances and all that stuff you know tension and and um compression and all of the different tissues and whatnot but like it's never been clear to me how this all kind of came to be and uh, and one of the things that you said to me when we were climbing that really struck me is i feel like you said something like it's not a matter of if but when as an arborist that something bad is going to happen but i might have misunderstood that yeah um you know, right now through Tree Climbers International and Tree Climbing Planet, you know, we've had this perfect safety record taking people into the treetops, you know. Um, you know, but it's like anything. There's always that risk involved. I mean, walking outside, there's there's a risk involved, you know. And I know some of the arborists that, you know, world-class climbers, super aware of everything. They move almost methodically in the trees. Accidents still happen. You know, um, and so we're, you know, we, we always do our due diligence to try to, you know, prevent any type of access happening. But there's always that possibility um, out there. And so, you know, even with the uh, with our perfect safety record, you know, we still take safety number one concern, not only for the climbers, but for the tree we're climbing to. Yeah, you know, that's the one to make sure we're not damaging the tree that we're actually getting into so you really you raised my awareness to that with the redwood but i but but i i and 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 i i want to uh just be careful 
you know, that I delineate the arborist work versus tree climbing. You guys have a safety record as uh, a perfect safety record as tree climbers. And that makes total sense to me. But I think I might have asked you, Tim, why did you stop the arborist work and go into teaching tree climbing and tree climbing? And I felt Mm -hmm. like that was where you kind of were like, look, man, arborist work, like you're up there with yeah. chainsaws, stuff is getting cut, branches break where you don't. I, I And, and I, I interpreted it as the work of an arborist presented a lot more hazards than the, than the work of a tree climber. Did I understand that correctly? Absolutely true, but that wasn't really the driving force to get me out of arboriculture work. Gotcha. Uh, there was that risk involved, you know, doing tree work. I mean, it's, it's work, you know, you're up there, you're, you're usually climbing sick, hazardous, dying trees because homeowners waited too long before they called in the experts to come in there and try to save the tree or, you know, bring it down when it was still fairly safe to climb. So, you know, helmets off to those guys and gals out there doing that, that work. Um, and, uh, but really what got me was, I've got, I did a lot of hitchhiking and backpacking around the world, you know, my early twenties and, um, late teens, early twenties. And I saw, I just started to see a lot of destruction happening out there in the natural world, you know, and that always kind of, you know, it, it just kind of ride on me. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing to help prevent this from happening? You know, I claim to love nature. I claim to be, you know, um, wanting to make an impact on it. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll do tree work. You know, I'm going to do some good arboriculture work. I'll take care of the trees. Um, But after seeing Peter's school and seeing these kids and these adults, you know, clicking back to nature, again, this different perspective on nature, it's kind of shifted the wind in my sails. And instead of doing just arboriculture work of cutting and trimming trees, why don't I take this to the people? let people actually have an experience climbing into these trees, seeing what I see, seeing what Peter saw in that snowstorm, um, and let them make up their own mind whether to save the trees or not. Mm. You know, people have this different, this deeper connection. And the one thing you'll never hear me do, you'll never hear me preach about, you know, save the trees, save the trees. I mean, that's where my heart's at. But as soon as I say that, people's guards go up. I've just learned that over the years that, Gosh, you know, right. Even if they agree with you, people like to argue, you know, so my job, it started to kind of mold into um, figuring out how do I give, how do I create a platform for people to have this experience? You know, how do I bring this out to the masses? Um, and there were a few other teachers that, um, you know, students uh, that became teachers that really helped um yeah, put some little extra wind in the sails there. Uh, I remember going out to a muscular dystrophy camp in Michigan and getting kids out of wheelchairs into trees and uh, watching these kids go up 20, 30 feet. Um, and for the first time in their life, they are looking down on people versus people looking down on them and their chairs. And it was just empowering. Even the kids with the ventilators that couldn't talk, their eyes were just beaming and then the doctor's in the tree with them i'm in the tree with them and we're all sitting we're all in the same position you know so you know there's no it doesn't matter if you have use of your legs or not because we're all you know sharing this space together um and that was one of one of those that was one of the big moments where everything else 
like, nope, Tim, you got to do more of this, start to retire that chainsaw, figure out a way to, um, you know, stay with the trees, but let's retire the chainsaw because it is dangerous work. And there was a few close calls I had, um, and, uh, don't want to get too woo woo on this stuff, but I remember the last time, I mean, the, one of the last days I actually worked with Peter, uh, we were removing a beautiful tulip poplar in a lady's backyard. And, um, as I went up there and I, de- I limbed it out and then Pete went up and he was taking the bowl down, taking the trunk down. Um, and so we we're kind of tag team in this tree. And uh, I got back down after my job. Pete goes up. I'm exhausted. It's like July, August in Georgia. So I'm super hot, dehydrated, hallucinating a little bit just from the exhaustion. And uh, as Pete's cutting into the tree with the chainsaw, he hits a water pocket there must have been 20 gallons of water just trapped in the bowl of the tree, you know, from, I don't know, hundred years old or something like that. I have no idea how that water got in there. There must've been a cavity at one time where things were pouring in. It was just collecting. But when he hit that and all that water came pouring out, what I honestly saw is I just saw blood shooting out of that tree and he heard the tree scream. Wow. And at that moment where I sat there, it's like, we're removing this hundred year old plus tree for these people to extend their driveway. This makes no, this this is ridiculous. Why would we do this? You know? Um, And so I had a, you know, heart to heart talk with Peter. He felt that, you know, he, he, you know, he kind of sewing the same cloth as I am with that stuff. Um, And it's like, you know what, I've got to give my notice. You know, I've got to focus on something else right now and try to figure out ways to, um, you know, re-educate people about the environment and hopefully be able to just kind of save the environment uh, with it by giving them a hands-on experience, you know. Incredible. Incredible. Whoa. That's a... Yeah, that's a moment right there. Hey, I mean, because you know that arborists are going to continue to do that work, but basically that was your moment where you said, I'm not going to continue to do that I'm work. I'm not. I, no. Yeah. I felt like, in, you know, I was, I've been in the martial arts for, gosh, since I was like seven years old. Um, and so I was teaching. And so that I, I got that, that uh, teacher within, too, that I wanted to be teaching people how to do stuff, you know, um, and with the trees there, there was not, and there's very few tree climbing instructors out there on the planet. And so I was like, man, Tim, if you don't do it, who's going to do it? Yeah. You know, who's going to do this? So it became a vision, you know, it truly became this working vision where, um, what am I doing? Purpose beyond self. Number one, what am I doing to give back to the environment? Um, and, uh, how is that, you know, benefiting those people as well. Now, who was the mentor you said that was a student of Peter Jenkins? Did you say Abe something? Abe Winters. Abe Winters. Mm -hmm. And, and you said Abe mentored you from the perspective of kind of like helping organize this information or, or, or sort of learning how to deliver it to, to people. How did he kind of help you in that way? Yeah. So Abe, um, so back in, you know, back then it was just the way they were teaching it. We didn't, 
we just didn't really have it sculpted out yet. You know, teach this first. This we didn't have this, the the stones in place, the building stones in place. Um, and so Abe really focused on that. He focused on this type of stuff needs to be taught first, then this, then this, then this. And after catching that, so we're making the are creating these building blocks to get to the next stage. Um, and he really fine tuned it. You know, versus when I first started doing it. Um, it's like, oh, just, you know, throw the bag up in the tree. You know, there's no technique on how to throw it up there. Just, just toss it in your way. And so we started getting more students coming into Georgia wanting to learn how to do this. And we were like, you know what? We need to kind of tie down the bathrooms here to make, you know, to really be able to present this in a professional way. Um, and so Abe and also Genevieve Summers, she was one of my mentors too. Um, and she's in North Georgia and I believe Genevieve still, still teaching occasionally. Abe has retired. Uh, but those two, there were the ones that really, um, taught me how to teach it. Mm. You know, yeah. Peter taught me how I'm, Peter taught me how to climb, but Abe and Genevieve were the ones that taught me how to, how to teach. And, um, and Abe, He's very, you know, um, very A plus B equals C. This, this here is how it works. Genevieve, a little more on that woo-woo spiritual side. And I loved both of it. And so I was kind of walking back and forth, that razor's edge between the two of them. And I was leaning more with Genevieve's side of it, where there is this spiritual connection, this deeper connection happening, being in the treetops, you know, um, versus just the technical skills but we need those technical skills to keep us safe, to be able to elevate it, get up into the treetops, to be able to have these kind of awakening moments. Yeah. And I mean, like, there's like a common, there's like a common thread here, uh, which is like um, the, the, this relationship with the tree and, and then people's response to a tree. And, and I, I have my thoughts on, trees and people and relationships but but where do you think that that uh because it seems to be a consistent thematic that people can connect with trees where do you think that comes from i think it's truly deeply woven within our dna you know i think you know several thousand years ago being chased by some type of beast we run up into the trees for safety Mm -hmm. you know we Safety in the treetops, you know. Um, trees are internal. Hold on one second. Sorry about that. You still there? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was crazy. That was that was great because it was a picture of a monkey, and I was just thinking, I wonder if our, I wonder if our relationship to trees goes as far back as like you know theories of evolution and whatnot. That's so hilarious that your screen just cut out and there was a monkey there because I was just. Thinking that as you were saying that, that was that was amazing. Uh, fun, yeah. So you know, there we are, right there. End, end of conversation. What else do we need? You know, right? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spirits, us, but um, yeah. So where were we? Uh, oh yeah, uh, deeply woven within the DNA and stuff. Yeah, I mean, trees are interwoven throughout all history and cultures. You know, cultures around trees. I mean, look at the Druids and Native Americans. We all have these special deep connections to back to trees, you know? Um, so, but where's it stem from? I think that's it. I think it's just, you know, it's, it's been part of us since the dawn of man, you know, these trees have, um, you know, if you grew up pre 1980, 
around trees, you most likely climb trees as a kid, you know, um, you get nineties and two thousands. Yeah. I've met kids that, you know, 15, 20 years old, they've never climbed a tree in their life. I'm like, well, no, seriously. When did you class climb an apple? I've never climbed an apple tree. It's like, how have you not climbed a tree, you know, at one time? So, um, and that I believe is where that disconnects happening. Then too, we're getting further away from the environment. You get further away from that stuff. Why protect it? Why is not we don't we don't have a connection to it, you know? And we're disconnected. And my job right now has been to just reconnect people back to nature with it. Yeah. Well, kind of blowing my mind here, Tim. Just uh, I mean, it's like everything, sort of the backbone of why I do bonsai and my perspective. I read a I read a study one time and who knows how formalized it was or how, you know, you can skew statistics to say whatever you want if you're a statistician. Um, but it said something like 80 some percent of all people's uh, sense of home or place or first memory was uh, built around a tree. And uh, so one of the things that I do with a lot of, I would like to say that I do it every time, but sometimes I just simply forget. But for several years, when I when I would have new students coming in to study bonsai at Mirai, uh, the 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 first thing that I would ask them is, uh, you know, what's your what's what's your what's your tree? What's your idea of a tree? Because I do tend to find that the image that people have in their minds when they come to start pursuing bonsai of what a tree is directly associates with a tree from their childhood, a tree from their, the, that, those first memories from that sense of place and sense of place oftentimes centered around a tree. And, it, and it's been really fascinating. Obviously, they're all coming here to study trees, so they must like trees to a degree. So it's a it's a skewed, it's a skewed observation, regardless. But I, f- I found it really fascinating because you could immediately almost tap into somebody's desire to do bonsai, whether they recognized it or not, centering around a moment in childhood that connected them to trees, and oftentimes that connection was a memory or nostalgia and a sense of place. And, right. and and like you, you, you go deep, you go really deep into that, and the fascinating thing. I guess to me about trees is like you look at all of the research that Susan Samard is doing and like this this sort of grand discovery of the microbial highways and the connection of trees and the ecosystem of the forest and community as opposed to competition or at least you know theories of of all of these ways that trees interact and stuff but but you are talking about some of the most archaic baseline information that is being discussed in those relationships compared to where science is discovering and studying humans and the human body and the mechanisms that control cancer and disease and and you know rare odd occurrences conditions genetic anomalies mutations you know in 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 the plant system we know so little about it and yet these discoveries are like blowing our minds like can you believe these organisms can do this through these microbial highways and stuff and it's like well y- y- well yeah yeah, yeah. Th- these are complex freaking systems like these things are you're talking about a redwood at 250 feet like you got to get water a long ways up there exactly exactly and that was uh, having hannah on the climb who i believe is a student of yours uh 
being right. a, and that's the one who actually called in just now and flashed the monkey in front of us. So that was from Hannah. Ah, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I, I really, I really want to talk with Hannah about her vascular research. Um, Fantastic. She, she, she just dropped some nuggets of knowledge about redwoods while I was down climbing and we were just sort of talking back and forth that have really you know, have really like triggered some light bulb moments for me. And, and that's, that's, that's what happens when you start to surround yourself with tree people is, is there is a real sort of con- continuity of passion and, and recognition of a common ground. And, and so, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to assume that you have sort of a preferred or a favorite tree, but are there, are there trees over, you sounds to me like you've, you've kind of climbed the planet's trees. Uh, are there any that stand out as like particularly memorable or, or, um, just you know, something? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's actually quite a few that do. It's hard to pinpoint just one. Um, but I definitely, when you're talking about that tree we grew up with, you know, as a child, you know, for some of us, that was our first friend. You know, that first friend was that tree that we go to when mom and dad weren't there. Weren't, they didn't understand us, you know, friends didn't understand us, you know, having problems or just, you know, just childhood issues we go through. Um, I remember going out and hanging out in the weeping willow tree. You know, it was like it was my buddy. I could climb that tree blindfolded. I knew where every branch was on that tree. Unfortunately, I probably ended up climbing that tree so much that I ended up killing it. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, you know, you're a kid, you're up there, you're trying to build a tree fort, you're nailing stuff in, <laughs> bark off to, you know, cause you saw on some, you know, movie where, you know, Laura, the flies or something are making clothing out of bark. I can do that too. You know? And so, right. uh, you know, so these, these type of trees, I always look at as kind of the warrior trees, you know, um, they're the ones that are being a little, you know, they're being sacrificed a little bit, but for the bigger cause where hopefully I'm now I'm out there teaching other people how to respect the trees and things like that. But, uh, the weeping willow in my mother and father's backyard, definitely. Yeah. One of my first major influencers and in introduction to that arboreal world. Um, but like you say, yeah, I've climbed, I have, I've climbed trees all around the world. I lost, I was like 25, 30 trees that I've climbed it. Um, and of course the Amazon's incredible. I mean, the Amazon definitely has captured my heart. The redwoods, they're amazing, but the redwoods, the, 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 they're elders, you know? And so it's one of those things where a lot of reverence going in, climbing these trees and paying homage. It's not, I wouldn't really, it's, it's fun, but that's not the key. That's not the goal. You know, the goal is to really connect with these true elders of our planet there and try to tap into that wisdom a little bit. Um, but you know, I get interviewed and people ask me, well, what's the favorite tree to climb? And Ryan, to be honest, it's the 75, 80 foot wide oak tree in my backyard, yeah. you know, tree, her name's Pagoda, you know, um, she's the main school climbing tree, you know, it's where all the students come and they learn it. Um, she's actually kind of, you know, the architecture of her is like a pagoda. It's got these different tiers going up, you know, and the pagodas where the training hall where monks would go to learn. And so this is the learning tree here. And, um, so yeah, if there was just one tree, like only climb the rest of my life, I mean, pagoda would win, you know, hands down on that. Um, but every year there's, you know, other trees that kind of draw my attention. And one year I went on this kick that climbing 
dying trees, dead trees, you know, it's like, there's some cool architecture that's happening there. And these things, you know, I believe they need love as well and paying homage to them, you know, um, getting up in there and just seeing how are you, you know, um, dying with dignity, you know, how are you dropping this stuff? Where's where stuff dropping at? What's the new, the new habitat that's growing up there now? Where's this new wildlife coming, you know? So I'm not recommending to go out there and climb dead dying trees though. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But that year, that was that was the goal. That was the thing. Is like I need to know this cycle of the tree, you know, um, and that's where my so. Would you would you say? What was your tree? Yeah, yeah. Mine mine has always been the ponderosa pine. Ponderosa pine, yeah. Ponderosa pine, yeah. When I was a kid, my first memories of being in the mountains were 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 uh, laying in the back of my dad's army issue military issue jeep, going fishing, and we. We always drove through. He grew up as a ranch hand son in a in a really rural, remote area of of the Western Rockies in Colorado, uh, and and so there was a fishing hole. Seven generations of my family's fished there, and to get there, you had to pass through a ponderosa pine grove, and I, and that was mm. generally when day, day when daylight would peek its head out. And I would mm. see the silhouettes, the you know, hear the sounds, the smells, like the the whole thing. Ponderosa pines have always have always just held a lot of memories for me. Yeah, yeah. What a beautiful smell they have too. Y- you I know the thing, butter. yeah. The thing that gets me about ponderosa pine the most is the way the wind sounds passing through the big long mm-hmm. needles. You know, and the way the needles rub together. It's it's a whooshing sound that you just no other pine makes it like that. Right, right. I don't think the way those trees talk, you know, the cottonwoods too, the wind whipping through cottonwoods, that sound. I mean, that's that's a very unique harmonic going on there. I can't even describe what that sound is, but yeah, that's yeah. Really, that's really interesting. And uh, do you? What I was going to ask you is, um, I mean, you've amassed there's 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 book knowledge, uh, and then there's experiential knowledge. And both of them, both of them are so valuable. But I feel like in modern society, we forego the experiential knowledge for what can be written down and 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 inform people in a, on a web page. And uh, and I was just curious, like with all the knowledge that you've accumulated, is there a place that you put all that knowledge, or are you just a walking data bank? And 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 you're satisfied helping people connect to trees but 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 are uh, you know but are willing to just sort of hold that knowledge and, and and not not from any sort of like cruel or or selfish way but like what do you do with all that where does it go does it come out of tim or does it stay in tim you know it it's uh <laughs> it's been coming out in the form of attempting books you know so there are a couple of books in the making right now on that nice um memoirs type stuff you know stories and um but i'm a true believer that to learn because what i consider what i do i I consider i call inspirational tree climbing you know and it's it becomes an art form you know and things get lost if you're just writing it or even doing videos there's this loss of transmission of energy from instructor to student and so i haven't gotten to that point yet where i want to put out like instructional videos and dvds i've seen stuff out there there's some good stuff out there and there's a lot of just just risky stuff now, I'm not saying bad, but just things that, you know, the novice could really get themselves in trouble um, with. So, um, 
you know, because there's not many tree climbing instructors out there on the planet, people that really want to learn this stuff, they, they search us out, you know, and um, I get, I, as I tell my students, I kind of get the cream of the crop of folks, you know, people that really want to do this. And so when I get these students coming in, I really nurture it, especially the ones that are sticking around for the long haul, want to take it back to their community, back to their towns or villages or hamlets or wherever. Um, and then dedicating myself, my energy to them so they can get out there and then work with the general public. But um, yeah, it's one of that. And I don't know if that's just from my martial art upbringing, you know, because I try to learn martial arts on DVDs and watching stuff. And for me, it's kind of a joke. You can kind of get the, the, the principle down, but you're not able to grab the essence of it. Yeah. And it's the essence of it in my opinion that's that spirit of it and that's what connects us to each other to the environment and that seems to be lacking when you're just reading books on it you know um and there are books out there teaching you the technical aspects of how to climb trees so i don't need to reinvent that wheel they can do that um people can learn that direction um i'm really just wanting to be able to yeah share share the heart with it yeah i mean I, it seems to me my, my, my desire would be to, would be to hear about these architectural realizations that you're seeing and these dead and dying trees and this regeneration of an ecosystem in the loss of one, you know, dying with dignity, like that, this, these are fascinating discussions of, um, of a living organism that has occupied the planet far longer than we have. And and knows a lot more about about what it's like to to both you know live thrive and and eventually die like that's uh these are these are lessons for the human existence that that by the time we understand a lot of it we're no longer present to really convey any of that information you know and and we do have a great example like I I think people get a little weird certainly when I talk about identifying with trees as another fellow living organism but but i do i do sense a similar life force in trees that there's a lot to take from that you know yeah Yeah. do do, do you feel an exchange of energy when you're climbing trees with the Mm. tree yeah big time big time with that um i think most people do you know in fact when i get when they you know people that are even very uh, academia type folk, you know, very focused on the science of stuff. But when they come down, I'm just asking them, so what message did you get from the tree? What message was this experience for you? You know, and I believe the trees communicate. They're not, you know, they're not going to grow lips and say, you know, have a nice day to us, you know, but they're through the feelings and through the emotions, sometimes through symbols, maybe the dream later on. But um, usually when people come down, they do have at least this deeper sense of peace and calmness than what they had when they went up into the tree, you know? So they're coming down, it's like, oh, I guess the tree kind of just taught me how to slow down a little bit, you know? And they usually chuckle as they walk off, but in my mind, the seeds planted, you know, they're at seeing it right now, the magic happened, you know? Um, and it's these little connections, you know, that one, the tree that was screaming, you know, after being cut, you know, I got several little stories like that where the tree has actually looked out for me in some aspects, you know, there was one incident where 
And I don't know if this is more intuition or what it is, but I like to think it was the tree that was talking to me. But uh, years ago was um, invited to bring tree climbing over to the country of Taiwan. Uh, one of my students came over to the U.S., was learning how to climb trees. He took it back. He was there for a few months. And then he reached out and says, hey, I want to do this big launch. Nobody's climbing trees with ropes and saddles in Taiwan. Very few people. In fact, even the uh, what they consider the arborists, they're the tree workers, the landscapers. When they did tree work, they would build scaffolding and then they'd climb up on the scaffolding and cut the tree down that way, just make it that way. So uh, a friend of mine, um, wanted to have this huge launch. We had the media involved. And so the media was following us around uh, for about a week. You know, we were working with little kids, getting them into the treetops of Taipei, and then going out to the countryside and working with some of the country kids, working with some uh, researchers, um, some biologists, uh, Taiwanese biologists. Um, and they were filming this. They were doing this week-long TV series on us. And the grand finale, we're getting kids out of wheelchairs too. We had two friends from Japan that came over, so myself and uh, John Son and Kawajiri Son. And so the three of us were um, helping Elliot out to uh, promote tree climbing. And the grand finale was we're going to climb trees, uh, going to climb a giant, giant sugi tree that was growing in a wasabi field, so a giant cedar tree that was growing on these wasabi terraces. And... Um, as we showed up with the camera crew, I was going to be the lead climber. And so I get um, get my line set in the tree. Wait, we actually climb the trees. We've got to get a small little uh, thin rope up into the tree first, kind of like parachute cord. Get that up into over the branch. And we do that either by hand throwing a little sandbag or using a giant slingshot that will propel that 10 ounce weight up to 130 feet. And uh, that's what we were using on this one was these giant slingshots. And I got the rope up or the, the line up. I pulled my rope up. Before I do any climb, I just do a little grounding meditation, just a little centering meditation, especially before a wild tree climb, a tree that's never been climbed before. I mean, we're truly the pioneers. We're going somewhere where no humans most likely has ever been, you know? So um, you got to, Take that fairly seriously, because if you get stuck in a tree, who do you call? You know, you call 911, they show up and you're 200 feet up in a redwood tree. <laughs> yeah, right. Do, you know, I mean, they're not <laughs> trained in that type of red type stuff. So you have to be, you know, your own safety guardian on this, you know, um, even search and rescue teams, you know, they're just not trained on how to go up. They can rappel down off build off mountains and things like that to get to or down in caves. Um, but they just, there's not that many climbers out there where they're you know, actually making that uh, protocol for them to learn anyway. So, um, I'm in Taiwan. I get the line set. I'm doing this little grounding meditation, this breath to surrender to nothingness. And um, as I do that, I usually feel the tree kind of, you know, accepting me. You know, I feel like, okay, things are good. Things are feeling good. This case, I was getting this big old punch in the gut. It's like, Tim, do not climb this tree. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this again. Breath to surrender to nothingness. Same thing. Do not climb. Do not climb. I'm looking over my shoulder. I got the film crew. I got people waiting on me because I'm the lead climber. I'm going to go up there and put four or five other ropes up into the top of this tree. 
and uh, for they can have their uh, uh, interviews and all that up there in this beautiful, beautiful tree. And uh, so I was like, I got, I got to go. I got, they're, they're waiting on me. I got to do this, you know. And as soon as I thought that, it really hit hard. Don't climb, don't climb, don't climb. And then I remember looking at the tree, looking at the rope. Everything looks safe. Things look perfect. I, mean, I can't ask nice weather. Things are great. Um, I remember just thinking, you know what? I want to climb this tree. I've never climbed one of these trees before. I don't know if I'll ever get the opportunity again. And as soon as the ego got involved with it, right, it hit even harder. Do not climb this tree, Tim. It was like somebody physically punching me. And I was like, okay, I've learned to listen to that for the most part of my life. Um, and I went over to one of the Japanese guys and I told Johnson, it's like, you know, I don't know what it is, but I'm not climbing today. You know, I'll be your ground support. You know, I'm happy to do whatever can on the ground, but uh, I'm just not feeling like climbing. I, I just, I don't know, not, not doing it. And uh, he's like, okay, no problem. I'll do it. So he jumps online. He gets on the rope. He jugs up. He gets about 130 feet up or so where the rope was over the branch. Um, and I'm on the ground with my binoculars watching him like a hawk, you know, waiting for something to happen. And um, when he gets to the, the anchor branch there, um, he stops. I can't really see what he's doing because of the lower crown of the, of the tree, the foliage and stuff. But uh, he came down about 30 feet and then he tied up all the other ropes. So now there's like five, six ropes coming out of this, you know, beautiful conifer tree. And... Uh, as soon as he gets down, you know, I can put a mask on for the TV crew and all that there. And so we get people saddled up. We get the, the film crew, the host of the TV show, get him saddled up. Um, uh, get the biologist that was going up with them as well, saddled up. And then the Japanese guys are going up too. So anyway, they're all going up. Now there's five, six people climbing up into this tree. I'm on the ground so nervous. I mean, I'm like literally got the whistle in my mouth, ready to blow the whistle. I got the binoculars. I'm watching everything. I'm waiting for something to happen, you know, and um, to make matters even worse for me is they're up there having a good time, telling jokes, laughing, cracking jokes back and forth. I'm on the ground stressing out and they're up there having fun. I'm like, how dare you have fun up there right now? And, uh, um, and then they come down, they come down, we do our final interviews, we say our goodbyes, you know? And uh, I'm like, all right, I just missed my opportunity to climb one of the beautiful, amazing trees, you know? So um, after the TV crew left, the host left and all those guys left, we're, you know, packing things up. And yeah, I'm over in the corner pounding a little bit, you know, and just like, shucks, why didn't I do this? So I'm putting away the saddle, I'm putting stuff away, having a little pity party for myself. And as I'm doing that, um, uh, John-san, the Japanese guy, says, hey, Tim, come here. And so, so I'm walking towards him, he pulls his camera out, he says, check this out. Took a picture right below that branch that the rope was over, right below that branch, he took a photo of these three huge black matte scorpions. I kid you not, as soon as I saw that photo, all that tension in my body, it just released. Wow. I know without a doubt that if I would have gone up, I would not have seen those scorpions. Something would have happened. I would have been tagged, or worse, I would have put the ropes up there and someone else would have been tagged by them. It would have turned into a, a, you know, an emergency and a rescue scenario going on up there. So I tell my students, you know, 
when you're climbing the stuff, you know, you got that intuition, I truly believe is interwoven in us. You know, that spirit is constantly looking out for us. You know, if we choose to listen to it, that's a different thing, you know. Um, but if something's slamming at you not to do it, and you know, people that have high risk jobs, military folks, police officers, firefighters, you know, they've all got that story. You know, they knew not to walk in that building and then they would have the roof collapsed, you know, or whatever. So, um, you know, now you may not always get verification of why you should or shouldn't have done it, but I just happened to get verification that day that, you know, John took these these photos and showed them to me. Um, and it, it did that, that all that tension, it just instantly released. I knew at that moment that the tree it could have saved my life. You know, there was this other connection going on, this, you know, different type of networking going on there. Um, that, um, yeah, kind of owe that to the trees. Wow. It's, it's, it's now I want to be respectful of time. Are we still okay? I know, I know you have a limited time. Is it? You know know what time it is, Cooper? 440. We got, we got, we got a little bit more. Okay. Uh, is it a double-edged sword? taking people up into these trees then for you where like, you're like, I want to be respectful. I want to protect the tree. Uh, and, and you maybe climb the willow to death or at least, you know, exercise the tree to a point that it, it was a martyr for the cause and, and, and it has created and it did pay it forward in terms of investing in you and, and the, and the positive impact that you're having, but is it a double-edged sword? Big time. I think that my, my, one of my biggest fears is that, creating a Frankenstein, you know, creating this movement, you know, this, and this is why I go towards inspirational tree climbing, not recreational tree climbing. People think recreation, they think, you know, ATVs, things like that, like kind of scarring up the land or competition. They think of competition with that. And inspirational has this little softer tone on it. Um, and so with my students, I really try to teach. And once again, this is that essence of the class going on in between the words. If they're listening and feeling, um, they're realizing that I really practice the philosophy. Think of tree climbing as a place to be versus a thing to do, you know, and that changes the tone. But I don't want people out there, you know, climbing trees to death, you know, I mean, that's especially the old growth, especially the old growth trees. I mean, you look into these giant sequoias, these coastal redwoods, um, where, you know, these moss mats could have taken 500 years to grow, you know, and you get someone up there, even with the biggest heart, you know, and they're all about connecting. And But a little swift kick with the boot by accident, there goes five, it's 500 years gone. It's just like coral reefs, you know, people that they, they got love to death, you know, people out there snorkeling, not supposed to be touching it, but you know, the flippers hit, things happen, waves push you, you knock in the stuff and not intentional, but um, it happens. And so the old growth trees, you know, and, and um, you know, some of these champion trees too, I honestly don't promote climbing them. You know, um, admire them from afar. You know, there's a book called The Wild Trees. I think you may have read that book there, uh, written by a friend of mine. And because uh, uh, I mentioned in the book as his instructor, when that book came out, oh my gosh, we were getting, I don't know, 50, 100 emails a week, people wanting to go climb into these old growth redwood trees because of that book. And it was like, oh boy, here it starts. You know, this, I, I saw the interest happening now. You know, people were being very interested and, you know, 
great opportunity to teach people, you know, but at the same time, if not done properly, you can kill it. You can damage it, you know, pretty easily. And so, um, after getting all these emails of people wanting to climb redwood trees, you know, especially the coastal redwoods, these the tallest trees on the planet, um, you know, it was to the point where I was just deleting emails because, like, I just don't want to have to explain why we're not doing this, you know, because you know, we had people that I don't care what it costs, you know, I'll pay whatever it is, and which is even more of a turnoff then. It's like, yeah, yeah that just because you have the money, this is an experience that. Yeah, it's a little bit different. So, um, but uh, uh, after getting so many emails and stuff, you know, delete, 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 um, a guy reached out to me and says, you know, hey, I just bought a chunk of redwood land um, and I've got some old growth redwoods on it. We just bought it. We consider ourselves caretakers of the property. Uh, we don't own these. Uh, we're just taking care of them for the next generation. And I read about you in the book, The Wild Trees. And I just want you to know that if you could ever utilize our trees for, um, you know, research or for educational purposes, uh, let us know. We want to share this with the world. Um, and so, you know, it was a beautiful handshake or olive branch being thrown out there towards me, you know, at this year, especially with where my mind was coming from, uh, that uh, these people out there just want to, you know, kind of peek bag these trees. Uh, and so I went out there, and this is in Santa Cruz Mountains, um, California, and um, I was kind of like, well, I'll check the tree out. But once again, I don't want to promote climbing old growth trees and it doesn't quite seem right. Um, but I get out to the site and I do that little breath to surrender nothingness. And right away, that tree's just pulling me in, pulling me in, pulling me in. And so um, I get a line set on the tree. And as I'm going up in this tree, uh, first, well, what I'm thinking is a first ascent. Um, I get up there and I'm seeing all of these old branches, beefy branches that have already been taken down. You know, the wood starting to compartmentalize and seal over. We got that wound wood going over the wounds. And, uh, and I'm like thinking, okay, this is not a first ascent. Somebody has been up here before, you know. And as I keep climbing this, you know, 800-year-old, 1,000-year-old tree, uh, I'm seeing more impact, more damage. And so I'm blown away. I'm blown away first off that, you know, um, somebody else has been up there, you know. And then why would they be taking these big branches down? You know, it was making no sense to me whatsoever where they do these cuts at. And, and, you know, it's 200 feet up in the air, too. So it's not for the view from their house, you know. Um, and so as I was doing the climb, some of the neighbors were out there watching it, you know. Um, and I came down. I talked to them like, well, you know, if someone's been up there before, oh, yeah, yeah. The previous or two landowners previous to the people who own it now, um, he was a logger. And so the story goes is that he was going to be felling this old growth, original growth redwood tree. You know, he was going to fell it, take it to the mill, mill it up. They heard the chainsaws going and they pretty much rallied around his property, on his property, and just like trying to prevent that from happening. They're like, no, we want trees. He's like, well, I own it. And they're like, how can you own a thousand year old tree? You know, that's a whole... Yeah, you know, catch twenty two that ran on that owning owning land. What does that mean? But um, and so the story goes, he pretty much made his life hell up there on the hill. So <laughs> he, he had, you know, the tree ended up still standing, you know. And then when I got up there and I saw all of this, you know, wound wood already happening, and the neighboring trees around it 
still 600, 800 years old um, in, you know, prime condition, you know, untouched, you know, virgin canopy. I was like, this could be a really great opportunity to teach the world about what's happening on top of these trees in a tree that's already been damaged from a previous owner. It's already, it's, it's already has impact on it. So let's give it a little more love now, right now. Um, leave the other trees intact. Not Let's not climb those. Let's leave those guys so we can get them to one tree, look out and see what's going on with this arboreal ecosystem up there. And that was the dawning of those redwood ascents that uh, you and I went on, you know, a couple months ago. Um, right. And, uh, you can speak from experience on that. But that was like up there. But, but he, if that tree had not been climbed from that, if it wasn't for that logger trying to get that tree off, these climbs would never happen. The world would not know. And I, I, I fought it for a while because uh, some canopy researchers out there, you know, they don't, they, I, and I, I get it. I, I agree with it. We should not be climbing these old trees, but on the same time, if there's an opportunity to re-educate people about what's happening in the forest by giving them a hands-on experience, that outweighs to me seeing these big old redwood trees on the back of a, you know, one log on the back of a truck just being bulldozed down. I mean, what happened to that tree? Let's let's get people up into the trees. Now, once we saved all the redwoods and the old growth, you know, I, I use paper. I'm not about, you know, no, not cutting down trees, but old growth trees, you know, I don't know. There's something special. They should be protected and saved, in my opinion. Um, and so once those trucks stop pulling those trees out, then maybe we can kind of back down and not get those climbs in so much. But right now, I truly believe we're doing more good, you know, than bad out there. Um by you know allowing these opportunities for people to have what an interesting what an interesting conundrum i i i mean it just the 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 synergy of morality behind the practice of bonsai and 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 tree climbing i i hadn't drawn these connections i it was one of the reasons i wanted to have a follow-up conversation with you and i hope it's one of many but but you know the 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 ethics around removing a stunted tree from the native environment, you know, and you and 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 there's an innocence to it. There's an innocence to climbing a tree. I'm gonna climb a tree, you know. Think about it. There's oh, I'm, I'm gonna dig this tree up. It's just one tree. There's m- millions of trees out there, but 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 one tree turns into five trees, and then there's an economy around it. And like you said, there's competition, or it's something to do. Now you have a motivation. And man, what a small, what, what a small, pure thought can turn into when it blossoms into something so much bigger. And like you're saying, the book Wild Trees came out, and suddenly it's like, oh gosh, can we put the worms back in the can? You know, yeah. and... And, and and then you almost become like you know are you at fault for this or are you promoting this or how are you taking your knowledge of the tree and turning it into something that contributes as opposed to becomes destructive uh it's such an interesting it's such an interesting thing because ultimately people uh, it seems like people that engage with trees on the level that you're engaging with trees do have the purest of intentions, and yet even the purest of intentions can somehow, under the pressure of humanity, turn into something quite catastrophic. Yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. I just, I, 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 
I, I, I, I sort of marvel at that, at that blossom of, of innocence to, uh, innocence to chaos. Wow. Interesting. And because, you know, I mean, we leave, we leave a mark everywhere we go. We leave a mark, you know, this whole leave no trace. It's impossible. You know, we're leaving a trace and we're climbing a tree. We're scuffing the bark, scuffing off that bark is emitting a new smell, you know, which might draw an insect or repel an insect or we're changing, you know, we're, we're, we're changing the, that baseline while we're up there, you know? Um, and so it's like, what do we bring into that? How do we do that? Where is that balanced out? Where is it for the better or is it for the worse? I, I believe trees like to be climbed. I think trees want to be hugged. They want to be touched. They want to, you know, that's, you know, that's just part of our human connection to them, you know, but how do we go about doing that? You know, how do we do the education and how do we do it where, um, because they are a delicate creature, you know, they're, 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 they're hardy, but they're also delicate, you know, it's not like rock, you know, uh, but even rock, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even rock, you know, even rock and lichen and just like, uh, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because humans do, like you say, humans do leave a mark, you know, like uh, we we tend to have a bigger impact as a smaller organism than larger animals have. And, and it's like, why are we so clumsy? Why are we, why are we built to destroy more anything or leave scars as opposed to leave something better than it because was. Because we've lost our connection. We've lost our connection back to the earth. You know, the other animals are still somewhat connected to it, you know, and, uh, and then we can go to a whole philosophy on that. How do we lose the connection? You know, it's like, well, I don't know, putting shoes on our feet. We're no longer filling the earth underneath us, jumping in cars versus walking, you know? And then I get people that, you know, this Tim, you're a purist, but you know, you're using a synthetic rope to climb into a tree, you know, a petroleum product you're using to get up into the treetops, you know? So what you know how do we how do we do this dance you know yeah yeah you can't win do you do you with all the researchers and 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 whatnot i mean it, it's you, you have a very sound knowledge of these trees from a biology physiology perspective but i it, you haven't mentioned that you ever attended some sort of school or some sort of formalized education do you have any formalized education oh not with that. I just, because of my, my path that I'm not, I'm not a researcher, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a researcher. Um, I did one semester in college back in Georgia, you know, and then I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life. It felt like at that moment, college was a waste of time and money. So I took the rest of my funds I had saved for it. And I bought a one-way ticket over to Europe, hitchhiked through Europe and North Africa, and just did that soul searching to figure out what is, what's happening, you know, and there's that worldly experience where I started seeing, it was beautiful, but when I was going back to these places five years later, I was seeing the, the destruction. And so my university was the, you know, that kind of vagabond lifestyle. And it's like, okay, what am I doing now to prevent that from happening? You know, what is the actual profession, if you want to call it that now, you know, but because of that profession that I've, I've created, I've got to work with some of the top-notch researchers on the planet, you know, and I've gotten the cliff notes to what they're doing. I just don't have to spend the hundreds of hours in the lab trying to figure that stuff out, you know. This is it, Tim. This is what you need to know right here, you know. So, um, and uh, and then I'm able to share that and integrate that into other stories with other researchers. And that's the beautiful thing, as I'm sure you're seeing, too, with what you do, is how trees create bridges. And you start introducing people to other people, and then now you know, they're connecting, you know, but this is the knowledge. You're there. 
this is the knowledge. That's what I'm saying. This is the, the, this is what this is what Tim has that nobody else has because you've worked with leading researchers. You've taught some of the the the, the biggest names in in the biological world how to access these canopies, and you've been along for the ride the whole time. There's probably nobody else that knows. Well, in fact, I think it's very safe to. And in, in fact, I think it's uh, it's factual. There's nobody else that knows what you know. Yeah. There's nobody else that knows what you know, not from your perspective and your knowledge on, on, I, I mean, I don't know if you even realize how expansive your knowledge is. When we started this conversation and you're saying I'm, I'm, I'm in the Southeastern United States and now I'm climbing all over the North American continent. And now I'm climbing internationally. What fits, what works, what doesn't work? You know, how do you adjust? How do you adapt? working out these systems, you're, you're teasing out architecture in trees on an international level in a way that probably nobody else has from the, from the window or from the door that you open into this world of climbing trees. But man, climbing trees is some complex shit, you know, like that's, that's real stuff. That's how people die. If you do it wrong, that's how trees die. If you do it wrong, and suddenly you're looking at the bark and you're talking about scuffing it. And now that tree's emitting another pheromone that potentially changes the life of that tree. Well, that not a lot of people are going to think about when you scrape the bark off the tree that you just might have made it more susceptible to its demise. Like these are these are big awarenesses that you have. And I'm sitting here saying, I, I definitely don't want Tim, I don't want Tim's book on how to climb a tree, but I want Tim's book on what he knows that nobody else knows. That's that's what I want because being in the redwood with you, it was very it was very obvious that there was a level of intimate knowledge that that I I could not have that you have about trees on a macro scale. And and it I wasn't envious. I might have been a little jealous. I could have been a little jealous because loving trees, I, I, I want to know everything there is to know about trees, but it's it's impossible. It's just impossible. It's too, it's too expansive. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we all just do our own part. Yeah. We all just do our We meet people like each other, and then there's this instant kinship going on. And I mean, I love working with the researchers. I, I, I love it. I dig it. But really, my passion is Joe Public, getting them to get into that tree and just to see the leaf color, you know, the morphology of the top of the leaf versus the bottom of the side of the leaf, you know, they don't see that, you know, that's where the passion, that's where the eyeballs, you know, and you know, open up. That's when the heart opens up because working with these researchers, um, you know, folks that know what's happening with the environment, know what's happening with the tree. You know, it's great. We're in our sangha. You know, we got we're kind of preaching to the choir. We got the community there. Um, but how where does it go from there? You know, sometimes it just stops within within our community. You know, so how do we get it out to that bigger community? You know, too. So, um, and I think that's what both the bonsai too. You know, people are amazed. You see this little tree. You see, how, you hear how old it is, and I know nothing about the art of it. Uh, besides what you you shared a little bit with me, um, but I'm just always mystified by having this thing. Seriously, this thing's 200 years old. I call bullshit. No way, you know. Um, 
But then when you actually start, you know, from my point of view, looking at the trees on a macro scale and then going down to the micro, it's like, you're absolutely right. I see where this is going on, what's happening here, what's going on there. But to train my eyes to get to that smaller, it's, it's been a fantastic journey working with you on that, you know, and learning that stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be excited. I'll be excited for you to come out and see us, you know, whenever, whenever that works, it's been, boy, it, 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 it it could not have been a better year to to go climb with you and to and to get to meet you and work with you just because uh, there was a need for this year with the heat with uh just sort of the general trend of the world and whatnot there was a need there was a need to spend time with uh you know sort of a kindred tree spirit and uh and to 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 be you know in the role of a bonsai practitioner you are sort of the 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 larger of the two organisms so to be the not only smaller but but so small that you really kind of cease to matter even though i can still leave a a life-changing scar on that tree the goal is to not do that and to just recognize your place at that point in time was really was really quite a profound experience that has had a significant impact on the way that i look at my, my my practice and approach to bonsai since that tree climbing experience. So it, it really was something truly profound for me. And 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 again, you know, I started out of saying thank you. I it meant a lot to me. So I appreciate you being willing to take me out there. Wow. Wow. Well you're welcome. And yeah, just thank you for following your passion on that too. And having the courage to come do it. You know, you're literally putting your life into the hands of a stranger this stuff you know so i always acknowledge that with the climbers that come out you're learning new things you're going to be going to a new world and you're learning how to do it from somebody you just met you know <laughs> yeah right um, <laughs> that was <laughs> the hard one and that's where i have to you know once again the you know the hannah you met hannah um and the crew it's like gotta have those right people out there to make it a comfortable and safe experience because i'm a true believer not all medicine comes in bottles you know, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it, Tim. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. I appreciate you carving out a little bit of time for us. And um, the offer stands. Please come see us at Mirai. I'll, I'll probably badger you more than you'll badger me to do so. But I, I really would love to host you out here and and share my world with you too, because it, it, oh. I, I think it would be really cool to 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 put our minds together again. Looking forward to. It. All right. Well, hey, I don't know what your week looks like this week, but I got a few days off this uh, this week here, so. It's a good week. It's a good week as far as I'm concerned. Uh, why don't Why don't we connect? Uh, I'll get your number from Eve, and we'll see if we can't find a time. Sounds great. Oh, I love it. I love it. Awesome. Thanks for the time again, man. We'll talk soon. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. Have a good rest of the day, and uh, get out there and hug a tree. Love it. Love it. See you, Tim. All right. Ciao.